podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, good morning again. Glad to see you all in your seats and ready to go with your Bibles on your lap if you have them. It's time to get back to the book of Acts. Remember that? Uh, the holidays have passed and now we get back to our verse-by-verse study through this beautiful uh, book of Acts which tells you the first 30 years of Christianity the early church. Great lesson for us here in chapter 10. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, in this awesome chapter, Acts chapter 10, maybe the most significant chapter in the Bible, how the gospel will leave the borders of Israel and go forth into all the world to the furthest reaches, God, to find people like me and our friends here gathered together. I thank you that you so love the world and you show no favoritism or partiality. But with you, you are accessible, available to save whosoever will simply come to you and want to live forever. In Christ's name we thank you. Amen. Amen. So you know the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks right? Well, yeah. When we're used to doing something one way for many years, it's hard to learn new behaviors or a way of thinking. And what if that dog in question was 1,500 years old, as is the case this morning? Imagine how hard it would be to stop doing it one way and start doing it the new way. We're talking about the Jewish people and their customs and their religion called Judaism up and running for 1,500 years. So you can imagine how those beliefs were so ingrained into them, the way they thought about God and how to please Him, the way they thought about themselves as a nation, the way they thought about Gentiles, which means nations, the outsiders, and their relationship to them. Now, when the prophesied Messiah arrives on the scene in fulfillment of the entire Old Testament Jewish religion after 1,500 long years, now God, the God-man in human form, uh, goes to the cross to pay for the sins of the world, to reconcile everybody, whosoever will, back to himself. A new day has dawned because the old religion has to give way to the new religion, the new covenant, the New Testament. Yes, indeed. The Old Testament was archaic now and irrelevant in some ways because that which uh, it was designed to point to had now been fulfilled. And so it was a time to think differently, especially uh, now about how they, they would think about God. They'd have to be thinking about him and understanding him through his son, the Lord Jesus, God the Son. A new way of understanding how to get right with him through faith, through grace, through his son, right? Not through trying to keep commands. And a new way of seeing those on the outside. Not with a disdain and distaste but with compassion and love to be a light to the world 
so that others may see and come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And it's that last category, the way they had been seeing Gentiles or the outsiders or sinners, uh, the way they had been treating them and seeing them. Uh, that is in focus here in Acts chapter 10 because the, the first 10 years of Christianity, they're all Jewish. And the thing that was hindering the commandment to go into all the world was their attitude toward the world outside of their covenanted people, the Jewish people. And so uh, the Lord has to do away with that and change their hearts. And that's what Acts chapter 10 is all about because they didn't really have a hard time when he said, okay, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, check. Judea. Oh, okay, check. Uh, Samaria. Oh, Peter, James, and John, not so much. But Philip, the foreign-born Jew, he was okay with that, and he leads the revival. But then from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then he says, I want this to go viral. The gospel needs to go global, for God so loved the world. Ah, uh, for 10 long years and for 10 long chapters, the book of Acts, nobody's doing it. They're not leaving. Peter, James, and John are still in Jerusalem. And, and for this reason, their attitude toward outsiders was getting in the way. So God has to do a work. So here now he's going to bust down those barriers and make it clear to the lead disciple, the lead Jewish disciple, who Peter, you can see him as the overseer, of all the little Christian churches in Israel, and they had existed there, but he's sort of their leader. And once he's convinced, once he's gotten over his bad attitude about Gentiles, then the rest of the churches will understand, oh, it's God's will for us to reach them, not push them away, not roll our eyes and say, ooh, I'm so offended at that. Uh-uh, no. And this is a problem. Not just with God's people, the Jews, in those early days, but with God's people, the Christians, today. It's the same problem that they were struggling with, that we struggle with, and that's going to be our takeaway today, that God loves everybody, and we've got to stop getting offended by their behavior, hate the sin, but love the sinner. That's the message of Acts chapter 10. And so uh, in order to get through to the Apostle Peter and then to all the Jews who believe in the Lord, uh, he's going to give a couple guys a vision. And then he's going to get them together. And how he does that is relayed to us through the chapter here, chapter 10, as I've been saying. And then uh, once uh, this Gentile meets this Jew, and this Jew meets this Gentile, and the Holy Spirit just brings the fireworks, and boom. From here on out, you won't hear about Israel and evangelism anymore. Now, the whole entire book of Acts is the gospel going into the Roman Empire into the utmost reaches of the world. And so we get together now with uh, this Gentile brother that's going to have a, a vision from the Lord to start things off. It's a lot of verses today, but there's no, there's no escaping it. It's all one story. It all has to be gone through. And so let's dive in and meet this man who's loved by God, but disliked by God's people. Cornelius, let's meet him. At Caesarea, there was this man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. I'll explain this. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, 30 miles south along the same coast, to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter, 
He's staying with Simon the Tanner, who tans animal hides as a living, whose house is right there by the sea. When the angel who had spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a, a devout, another soldier who had faith in the, in God, in the God of Israel, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, the whole story with the angel, and sent them off to Joppa. We'll pause there as we will, walk through the chapter and see what the Lord has for us, because he has something always for us uh, when we read his word. A centurion, note takers, Cornelius has a vision. A centurion, as implied by its title, is a man who was in charge of a hundred soldiers. You can see century in there. Why were Roman soldiers even in Israel? Most of you know Israel was occupied at that time uh, uh, by a foreign power. Rome, in this case, was in charge and the Jews were miserable and hated that and hated those who enforced the pagan laws of this immoral guy, Caesar, so these centurions that were around these Roman guards, these Gentile sinners, uh, were not loved by the Jewish people per se. And, you know, to be honest with you, uh, the Jews did not have a country of their own. For earlier, 500 years earlier, they lost their sovereign autonomy to Babylon when King Nebuchadnezzar came in. And so for 500 years, they were occupied by the Greeks, by the Babylonians, and now by the Romans. And all the way until 1948, they were without a sovereign identity as a nation. So in 1948, after 2,500 years, the whole world got to witness the fulfillment of God's many promises to the Jews. Though you've been scattered and don't have a nation, I will bring you back and you will be a nation. And so praise the Lord uh, for that. And so these Italians, he's an Italian, uh, he has an Italian family, uh, he's in charge of a hundred Italian guys in a cohort there. Uh, they're all paisanos, verses 1 and 2. And we hear a little bit about them. And they, they fall in love uh, with Israel's God. They, they didn't know they were in the promised land. They just got deployed. And they're making their home in Israel. And guess what? What a breath of fresh air to hear about one true God, not Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite and their murderous, treacherous, adulterous, sexually immoral ways. I don't even know how you would tell a child a bedtime story about those gods. That would be a nightmare, you see. And so what a welcome thing. And these, these centurions, they, uh, this one's de described as devout and pious there in verse 2. Dedicated, uh, he, he, he heard the Bible, the Old Testament, and he, he becomes God-fearing. He respected God, which implies, of course, you have to have faith in God to respect and revere him. And then faith without works is dead, and so we, his faith is alive. As, as lacking the proper understanding of the gospel, he's on his way for sure. Uh, faith without works is dead, but not his. Um, generous to the needy, he, he, he's praying all the time. Uh, the Jews prayed at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m., and so he's keeping the Jewish time of prayer, and he's praying. And, uh, you know, Cornelius is the guy, he, he gets light, and he lives up to the light that he has. And when you do that, more revelation comes. You see, so if you're ever feeling like stuck, why am I stuck, stuck, stuck? You know, you want to get to D, and the Lord's saying, what about A, B, and C, man? Take care of A, B, and C, and you'll get to D. And, and that's what's going to happen in a big way with our Italian foreigners now here. And so the problem is, as you see in your text, the angel has to calm him down and say, dude, relax. God's happy. God's accepting you because you've come to the God of Israel in faith. God may be accepting him, but everybody around him is rejecting him rolling their eyes as they pass by, some of them spitting. Good religious people. These 
Gentile, pagan, sinning, ignorant people, uncovenanted with God. They were apart from the covenant, the blessed covenant that they had with the Lord. And so God, God's drawing him, and the people of God are pushing him away. That's how it is sometimes, then and now. And this is why God has to bash down these barriers and demolish their prejudices that existed in Jewish thinking and in Peter's mind and ours because Christ came to seek and save the lost. Not just the people that we like or feel like, well, they're worthy, so go ahead and save them. We like them. They manage their sin quite well. When did he make a great Christian? Those are the ones we want to reach out to. But the vile and the vulgar and the treacherous were like, walls up, you know, you're on your own, buddy, you know. And that's just going to hinder the gospel, the whole point. The whole point of you getting saved is yes, so that you don't perish, but that others in your sphere of influence will come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And that will never happen with a bad attitude toward them. And so that's the point of this uh, wonderful uh, chapter. And so the angel gives Cornelius Peter's name and an address and uh, things get rolling. Chop, chop. He sends uh, for Peter. And now God gets to work preparing Peter's heart. So verse 9. At noon the following day as they were on their journey to go get uh, Peter and approaching the city, Peter goes up to the top of the roof to, play, to pray. Uh, the, back in the day, flat-roofed villas there, or so, their houses, and they functioned as patios, you know that. Peter goes up there to catch the ocean breeze and to meditate and pray and be with the Lord he loves. Verse 10, he becomes hungry, wants something to eat. And while the meal's being prepared and the Mediterranean spices are wafting through the air, he falls into a trance and he sees heaven open in something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, time for a barbecue. And verse 14, surely not, Lord. That's really an oxymoron of a statement, isn't it? No, Lord. <laughs> Peter replied, I've never eaten anything yucky in my whole life that has spiritual cooties. The voice spoke to him and said, stop calling anything cooties that God has made clean. All right, this happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back up to heaven. Let's talk about this. It's Peter's turn to have a vision, note taker. So the uh, first thing I see is God's MO here. When something's important, he usually speaks to several people. He likes that two or three witnesses thing. When it's important... Right? He doesn't just speak to one person. So always remember that. If it's of the Lord, there's, he's usually talking to more than one guy. Uh, something important happened here. We needed a pastor and a business administrator. And out of the blue, uh, names came up of multiple people, of people that we're not in touch with every day, over on the other side of the earth. Bond and Heather, Guyona, Bond and Heather, Bond and Heather without anybody knowing the other person was saying it. You see? Because God was saying, it's not just one guy's idea. This is my idea. And he likes to do that. So look for that when you're wondering if God is at work. And notice that when they get both of these guys, when they hear from heaven, they're communing with God. So the question one commentator pointed out, the question is not whether God, why doesn't God speak to me so clearly? such detail. It's fascinating. As Cornelius and Peter, the question is, why don't I pray as devotedly as Cornelius and Peter did? Because the more time you spend open to God, learning through trial and error, just to hear him, uh, the more clarity from above always. 
We want the clarity, but we don't want to do the work, the discipline, I should say. Every single time I go to pray, almost every single time, I just think there's something more important to do than just sit there. And the Lord's like, you're not just sitting there. The prayer of somebody right with God is powerful and effective. You're doing something. You're working. You're working. Things are changing as you sit quietly doing nothing but interacting with God who spoke and made a universe and is listening and promised to hear you and to act on your behalf. That's an amazing thing. And so I'm down a little bit of a bunny trail, but that's what I do. It's a gift in the Bible. I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed that or not. Peter goes on the flat rooftop for a little sea breeze and communion with the Lord he loves. I got a picture. Why not? This is second service. We have time for such things. And so if you go, and we've been there many times, this is the building on the left is part of Simon Tanner's house, or so they say it must have been, uh, right about there. And so Joppa is right there as well. To the right, you see the seaport there, just beautiful. And so that's kind of where he's up on the roof, something like that, uh, overlooking the ocean. Thank you for that. We can go back to the text. And so the problem is he's super hungry, so I don't know if you've ever sat down to pray, and even if you're fasting, all you can think about is in and out, you know, and you can't, <laughs> and, and this is the problem here, but only all he can think about is shawarma, shawarmas of falafels, and uh, all those beautiful spices, and flatbread, and all of that, and, and God is going to, Romans eight twenty eight the situation, he's going to say this is exactly right, all you can think about is food, 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 I'll use food as a basis to get through to you. Not about food, but it's about people. It's not about your attitude about the food. It's going to be about your attitude about people, you see. But it starts out with food just to kind of ease him in. Down comes the sheep. Looks like a collection from the animals on board Noah's Ark. Uh, a mixed bag. There's clean animals in there and unclean, as the Jews called them. Uh, the consecrated or common. That's the word you'll see in King James. So defiled or unclean would be common. In other words, God didn't consecrate it, so it's common or not kosher. Kosher means fitting, you see. So the Jews had a hard and fast line from Leviticus of dietary law. So what was up with that? Well, um, it wasn't about health, I'll tell you that. And, and, and a thousand authors will disagree with me, and that's okay. Uh, but show me one verse where it says that in the Bible. In fact, I'll make the argument, if it was about health, then why did Jesus say, oh, by the way, all food is clean? Mark 7, 19, quote the Bible. Jesus said, all food is now clean. Now, if it was a health issue, then why would he say, okay, and Paul the apostle to his letter to Timothy, all food is clean. Jesus will make this point. He goes, hey guys, listen up. What goes into your mouth, it's eliminated through your body. It bypasses your spiritual heart. It will not bring you closer to God. It will not move you away from God. All food is clean and irrelevant to the Christian. Then why did God give the laws in the first place? And he says, every time he gives a food law in the Old Testament, be holy because I'm holy. Be separate because I'm separated. So what he was trying to do was separate them from their immoral practices and their idolatry that often involved these kinds of foods. And if he prohibited his people from certain kinds of foods, they couldn't have table fellowship with the Canaanites who were adulterers. So he was keeping Israel intact. This is important so that the messianic line comes through and Israel doesn't just fall apart and unravel. And so not being able to eat with them and eat certain foods just was a helpful barrier to keep them, not from associating with them in a saving way, but from joining with them in their idolatrous ways. That was really the point. So Peter's staring at these vile critters with the same distaste 
that he has for vile critters called Gentiles. That's the point. He looks and goes, ew. And, and the Lord's like, exactly. That's it, Peter. You stop doing that ooh thing <laughs> to people who I have cleansed through the blood of Christ. If they come, they're able to come. You've got to stop ooing everything like that. And so what Peter can't stomach isn't the food. He can't stomach Gentiles. He can't stomach their policies. He can't uh, stomach their politics. He just hates them. And God has to say, how are we going to save them? Hate their policies, man. But love their soul. Pray for the soul. And you can't really do that when you despise them. This is it. So three times he says, stop calling things unclean that now I've sanctified. Stop calling things unclean that now I've sanctified. Three times. You would think one time's enough when God speaks. I mean, he is the creator of the universe. Can I just tell you once, Peter? No. Yeah, i got to tell a guy like you three times, right? And you know he kept telling him. He kept telling him until he got into the next paragraph or two. And so that's how we are. And God is patient. He knows how we are. So he does repeat himself, thankfully. So Peter is now trying to figure this all out. Verse 17. While Peter's trying to figure it out, (laughs) the vision, (laughs) the animals, the sheep, the voice, eat, eat, eat. The, The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out and they asked if Simon, who's known as Peter, was staying there while Peter was still thinking about the vision. The Spirit speaks with such clarity. It's like, how did that? Wow. Simon, three guys are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. I'm in this. It's me. So Peter goes down, down to meet them. I'm the guy you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from this man, this Gentile, Cornelius, the Gentile (laughs) centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man, and he's respected by at least the God-fearing Jewish people. A holy angel told this Gentile to come, uh, to, to have you come to his house, a Gentile house with Gentile people and Gentile food, so that he could hear what you, this Jewish man, has to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. Oh, no, no, no. You can't do that. But Peter's already been softening up. He's getting it. He's, he is, after all, staying at a tanner's house with Jews. Hated tanners because of the blood and the dead carcasses. They were considered by Jews to be unclean. So he's already, he's got it. He's been to Samaria. He's seen the Samaritans speaking in tongues. He's getting it. He just needs another little push. And God is always happy to help us there. Amen. So amazing timing. The men arrive right as he's trying to figure it out with the voice and the vision reverberating in his head and in his heart. And so... Such amazing clarity. Three guys looking for you. They're at the door. Go down and greet them. Don't hesitate. Uh, I'm in this. Uh, This is all going to make sense. It's from me. Verses 19 and 20. And again, God's speaking to us. It's amazing. We want it to happen. It does happen. Uh, How do I know it's God and not just me? You know? Well, that's easy. What comes of it? What's the result? Is it in keeping with the word? Is it in keeping with the word, the Bible? Is it edifying? Is it holy? Is it, is it good? It, do all the lights light up and you're like, oh, that was the Lord. Now, what if he goes downstairs after hearing those words and there are three little kids at the door. They're wanting to play with the kids who live there. Then you go, oh, my blood sugar is really low. <laughs> I need to eat now, right? Because that obviously wasn't God. The problem is, and I've said this so many times, and it's a big problem. We think for sure, I heard, three guys downstairs, go down and greet them, or whatever it is. And then it turns out to be the kids, or the UPS guy, or whatever. 
And you're like, oh, I guess God. You know, we just start pointing fingers. Why can't we just take the blame and just say, okay, trial and error. I'm learning. I'm learning through practice to hear and discern the voice of God. And when it doesn't come through, it wasn't him. Or he's coming through in a way that we didn't realize. I just always find it's good to give the benefit of the doubt to the Lord. Amen? Okay, I see you're thinking about these things, and that's good. And so, yeah, so here's the point. Uh, Three men show up while he's thinking three times. Don't call any anything unclean that I've made clean. Don't make don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Don't make don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. One, two, and three opens the door. One, two, and three. Three pork chops are there. All right. So he's got it in his head. Don't call anything anyone unclean, unclean, unclean. Gentile, gentile, gentile. Ah, oh, ha, ha. He's starting to get it, you see? So the point isn't his bad attitude about the food. That's irrelevant. It's his bad attitude about people, you see? The truth of the gospel that he knows is that Christ died for the sins of the world and that he seeks and saves and came for sinners. And the sinner's job is to sin. That's why they're called sinners, right? They sin. That's their job description. And he saves them. It will not help us to toss them the word of life if we disdain them. It just won't help. Anyone and everyone, regardless of race, social status, education, sinfulness, morality, gender, or gender confusion, come on in as you are. The Holy Spirit will come into you and raise you to new life. You see? But how are they going to hear if we hate them? Uh, So, yeah, notice in the sheet, there are clean and unclean animals. In other words, the, the, the... it includes the Jews. The Jews and the Gentiles and whoever you are in the world, you're, if you come to Christ, you're all in the sheet. You're all in the sheet. So it's a mixed grab bag of all kinds of uh, wretched sinners or, or high, highly inclined moral sinners, uh, religious kinds of sinners, black sinners, white sinners, rich sinners, poor sinners, beautiful sinners, ordinary sinners, famous sinners, Non-famous sinners, they're all in this. And, and what's the sheet? The sheet is the church. The sheet is the church filled with formerly defiled things that slither like reptiles, made new by the blood of Christ. And one day the church will be drawn up into the heavens together to be with the Lord Another example there of what we call the blessed hope or the rapture. So praise God for that. No doubt he's catching on, but he's got a ways to go in his mind and on the road, about 30 miles. So let's hit the road at verse 23b. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. That was so smart. You know, this is controversial. What am I doing? They're Gentiles. There's a Roman centurion involved. Hey, let's have a little bit more accountability here so that when things might go wrong or get difficult, there's eyes and other people who saw the whole thing. They're just smart. The following day, they arrive in Caesarea. Cornelius is expecting them and called together his near and dear friends and family. As Peter enters the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence and kind of gave him a knee there, which is so interesting. He's a military guy, and Peter's a former fisherman with no education. Uh, But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself, just like you, man. I'm a guy. Verse 27, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that it's against our law or our customs or our religion 
for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him because there's not one verse in the Bible that says that. But Judaism had become that. It's against our ways for a Jew to associate with the Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should stop thinking like that and call people impure or unclean. So when I was sent for by Gentiles, I came without raising any objection. So now that I'm in your Gentile house talking to Gentiles as a Jew, what's up? That's what he wants to know. It's a nice picture here. The Jews and the Gentiles, formerly estranged, are walking together on the, line, on the road shoulder to shoulder and that's kind of the point you know the <laughs> and if you look in here you got former criminals sitting next to cops in here and, and you've got a PhD sitting next to somebody perhaps who has a learning uh, disability it's just amazing the mix and there they are shoulder by shoulder going down the road uh, they arrive Peter enters the house this is incredible. And he has to kind of introduce himself in a way to eat humble pie and say, you might be wondering what a guy like me is doing the first time in my life ever going through the doors of a Gentile's house. First time in my life ever. So you might be wondering why I'm here. Well, because God has made it clear to me that it's okay and I've got to change my attitude about y'all. That's really what's going on here. And so interestingly that Cornelius gets overwhelmed and bows, gives him the knee, right? And Peter's like, whenever anybody worships in a misdirected way, they're rebuked and corrected. Here, you have it again with Paul and Barnabas in chapter 14. Uh, They heal a guy with God's power, so they want to sacrifice him. They start calling them Zeus and Hermes. And they tear their clothes and say, this is blasphemous, right? They redirect that. When John, in Revelation 22, falls down to worship the angel, the angel commands him, do not do that. Get up. Worship God alone. Funny thing. Whenever anyone bows and worships Jesus, they get blessed. They don't get corrected. Why? Because he's worthy. Because he's the Lord. Because he's God. And that's one of our ways to argue with people who, or debate them, who say that your Jesus is just the Son of God. Well, no, 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 no. We worship him. And the word says we worship only God. And if we worship Jesus, then we're worshiping God. And that's just the way it is, you see here. So so Peter says, yeah, so that's why I'm here. God's changing my attitude about you guys. So what's up? Verse 30, Cornelius answers, tells him the story. Four days ago, praying, uh, a man in shining clothes comes and tells me to go get you. And uh, God has is... uh, um, hearing my prayers and all of this, and he told me where to find you. Let's see. So we're glad you're here, so tell us what God has commanded you to say. Love that. He's a military guy. Right, so he's saying, we're not interested in your opinions or some Jewish philosophy. We want to know what God is commanding. He brought this. This is a big deal. I had a vision. I seen an angel. You had a vision. The Holy Spirit spoken to you. You've made a big trip here. Now you're breaking all of the Jewish laws and you're standing in a Gentile house. God wants to say something, but he's commanding it. He's not suggesting you change your attitude about those who are lost. He's commanding it. And we're all ears. So he says, uh, speak to us, right? So, moving on. Verse 34, (laughs) then Peter began to speak. I get it, I get it. I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show partiality, but he accepts men from every nation who will have faith in him, to revere him, and then as a result, do what is right. The word is righteous, to work righteousness, because they fear him. Do you see? You know the message, and now he's going to preach the gospel, that uh, the good news of peace through Jesus, who is Lord of all, check first, you know, he's the Lord. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in uh, Galilee, 
after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good, healing those who were under the power of the devil, because God the Father was with God the Son. Moving on. Next slide. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him, unbelieving Jews, leaders, killed him by hanging him on a tree, the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, caused him to be seen. He was not seen by everyone, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Whoa, that's the gospel. He's coming again. All the prophets testify, the whole Old Testament, it's all about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so, praise the Lord. Peter gets it. We'll go back to the first paragraph there and walk through. Uh, To paraphrase what he's saying, he's saying, okay, I get it. Duh. God loves everyone. He doesn't show favoritism. He's willing to accept anybody from any background who's done anything ever from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language. That's who you'll find in the sheet and in heaven. Anybody. He's willing to accept anybody. The people you hate, the people who've caused us pain, the people who've killed Christians like Paul, if they have a turn, a change of heart, because he doesn't want them to perish. It's not saying that, uh, that unrepented sinners aren't going to meet justice. The problem is we don't know who's who. We don't know who's who. With the Saul, the, the murderous killer of Christians, we don't know. That's really the most heroic Christian man of God that ever lived. We don't know that. We didn't know Saul, the killer of Christians, was going to write 13 New Testament books. We didn't know it. We hated him. Most Christians hated him. This is the problem. Everybody's under disguise. He was disguised as a murderer. He was actually a brother in the Lord, but we wouldn't know that. So what we have to do is assume that behind every exterior is the possibility of a saved soul and get over that feeling. Hate the thing that's wrong, but love the person. And so this is what he's getting at. And so that's the prevailing thought was God did show partiality. Uh, but even though in Isaiah 49, he told his people, you're chosen to be a light and to serve the world. So God chose the Jews First, to be a door to get through to the world. And that's the only way that they are favored in the sense that their function was first. They are the door in to get to all of us, you see. Uh, And so that whole thing, it was a big aha moment because it was common for a Jewish man to wake up in the morning and pray, thank God I'm not a Gentile. That was the first thought in their mind. Oh, phew. I could have been a Gentile. And if anybody married a Gentile, they had a funeral for them. You're cut off. You see, and some of that goes on today. And so the hostility between the two, and it wasn't just Jews against Gentiles. It was Gentiles against Jews. The Gentiles, for some reason, have always hated the Jews and out to kill them. And some of that is inspired from the evil one. But the other thing, you know, it's just kind of like the funny thing that Jews say to themselves is, you know, about our holidays. We can sum it up this way. (laughs) Every holiday we ever have as Jews is, one, they try to kill us, two, we survive, three, let's eat. So (laughs) that's really what it's like. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not just the Jewish thing snubbing their noses at the Gentile world. It's the Gentile's world has their issues too, i.e. Holocaust. I.e. I'm at uh, Pete's Coffee at the bar where you mix your, uh, put your cream in. And right rubbing shoulders with me is some dude with big arms and he's got a tattoo and I'm looking at the tattoo and I was curious and I said, what's up with the tattoo? That's kind of cool. And he goes, yeah, because I'm a Viking. 
And he goes, I'm from Nor you know, I'm Norwegian. And he looked at me like, you? And I said, I'm a Jew. And he goes, and that's okay. <laughs> he goes, and that's nothing wrong with that. And I was like, whoa, what, why would there be something wrong with it? I mean, I had no say in it. Like my mom and dad got together and here I am, you know, so. And then he showed me his other tattoo that explained why it's okay. It's okay now. Now that I got over that old way of thinking, he said. So he said, I'm trying to get it removed. The anti-Semitic tattoo. Yeah, that explained that. Jesus died to stop all of this craziness. Whether you're liberal or conservative, whether you're Democrat or Republican, right now that's the big thing, that's the hurdle, right? If you come to Jesus, you're in the sheep, you're going to heaven. You're made one. He breaks down the barriers between us, that hostility. And he makes for himself, he calls us one new humanity. That's who the church is. And that's the point of this passage. And so, yeah, then he preaches the gospel to them. He just says, yeah, uh, you, know, you know the message of the good news. It's all about Jesus. He's Lord. He's, he had miraculous signs and wonders. And bottom line, if you believe in him, you'll live forever, verse 43. So let's finish up. We made it. Whew, that was a lot. Now, you know what's funny? It's hilarious to me. Last sermon I preached, it was one sentence. One sentence was the text, John 3:16. That's all that was up there, right? And this time, there's 48. You know, that's kind of how it goes. But let's finish up here. While he's preaching the gospel to these Gentiles, and a lot of commentators say, were, were there 120 in the room? You'll, you'll know what that means. While Peter's speaking, the Holy Spirit comes upon them who are hearing the message. The circumcised, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished. It means to have the wind knocked out of you. They lost their breath that a Gentile the Jewish Christians, they've been Christians for years, and they see a Gentile praising God and now speaking in tongues, the same tongues that they speak in, because they're charismatic at the time, and they're, they get the wind knocked out of them. These are Christian people. What? The Gentile can get saved like that? Just like us? So that's what he says. And Peter says, can anyone keep these guys from being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just like us. Their sin wasn't any more heinous than the sin that Jesus died for uh, that we committed. Though we think it is. Our sin cost Jesus his life. Our sin was just as bad as anybody else's sin. So they receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, he orders that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then uh, they ask Peter to stay on a few days in the Gentile house. Stay over. They only have Gentile food. So, you know, Peter's like, bring it on, a BLT. I, I, I've, <laughs> I've seen you guys eating that stuff. It smells really good. I've thought about it. I would like to try it, but you know, I've never eat bacon, which impresses God a lot. Well, no, that was wrong of me. Uh, can I have a slice or two now? And so, yes, miraculous things are happening. So why one commentator said, I wonder if there are 120 in the room? Because you'll remember for the Jews, and they were all Jews at Pentecost when the church was born, the Holy Spirit's given, and he unites all these foreign-speaking Jews who are visiting from foreign countries. He unites them all now with the Holy Spirit. And now instead of being Jews from here and Jews from there and Greek-speaking Jews or Hebrew-speaking Jews, now they're just Christians. Now, in a Gentile setting, they have an outpouring. 
And now instead of uniting themselves within their own race, now you've got Jews in the room and Gentiles in the room, and now you've united the Jews with the Gentiles in one spirit baptism to astonish everybody in the room. And it wasn't just the Jews who were astonished. The Gentiles were astonished. We're, we're like on even par with them in God's sight, with his chosen people, been around for 1,500 years. We don't even know what Noah's Ark is. We don't know Genesis. We don't know Moses. We don't know anything about anything. We just know about Zeus, and now we get what they get. Yeah, you do, because it's all about Jesus, and it's all about coming to him. I want to close with... <clears throat> This little information that maybe you didn't recognize, that this all happened, for Peter at least, it, the pieces come together. The lesson is taught in a city called what? Joppa, right? So now, <laughs> Joppa is famous for being the place where another man of God with the same kind of problem, a bad attitude about Gentiles. His name was Jonah. And he fled to Joppa because God had told him to go to Nineveh, modern-day Iraq, Mosul, where the bad guys are still <laughs> and were the worst sinners on the planet, most violent of all. And Jonah said in his heart, I cannot risk taking the gospel to those sinners in the event they hear the word, they repent, and God be merciful to them. I, that's a chance I'm not going to take because I hate them so much and they don't deserve that and I'm not going. Find yourself another prophet God. So he goes to, he goes to, to Joppa where, where the New Testament is going to come with the guy who's got the same problem and for once and for all he's going to fix both Jonah and Peter right there with this vision that God is not just for some and God takes no delight in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their sins and live. And that's going to be super hard to do since we are the lifeguards if we don't love them and share the same compassion that they deserve because God has that compassion for them. Let's pray together. Father God, guilty as charged, <laughs> all of us, God, every single one of us, including me, God, we all just have a hard time loving people who are offensive and do bad things and hold on to ideas that are wrong and hurtful and oppressive. We know how you feel about that as well. But Father, help us to hate the thing that's wrong, but love the soul and the potential of that soul to come to know you and to live forever and not perish, because that's your heart. May your compassion be our compassion. May our compassion be your compassion. May we reflect you properly to those we disagree with. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.